Coming up today on David versus Goliath. These nerves mean that I'm doing something important. So I flipped the script on it. So it, it literally removed my stage fright. I haven't had stage fright in eternity. In order to be truly loved, you have to be equally hated. Welcome to today's episode of David vs. Goliath, a podcast dedicated to helping small businesses leverage technology to not only help them compete against their large competitors, but win. Your host is currently the CEO of Anthem Business Software, a free-time Inc. 500 recipient and a serial entrepreneur with a passion to help small businesses everywhere find, serve, and keep more customers profitably. Please join me in welcoming your host, Adam DeGrade. Hey everyone, it's Adam DeGrade with another fantastic episode of David versus Goliath. Today I have the privilege of having my brother from the same mother on the show, Neil DeGrade from Dirt Poor Robins. He's going to talk to us today at what it's like about being an independent music artist with no big label, big budgets behind them, and how you can create an audience of your own by finding your space. It's going to be awesome. Today's episode is brought to you by Anthem Software, where you can find, serve, and keep more customers profitably in their all-in-one software marketing consulting platform. Take the 120-second tour today at AnthemSoftware.com. You can also visit us online at davidvsgoliathpodcast.com. There you can apply to be on the podcast as well as subscribe to receive email updates on the podcast that is going fantastic. If you're a listener, you can listen on any podcast application. And if you're a viewer or a watcher of the podcast, you can see us on YouTube and now on Spotify. Spotify has actually ingested our video version of the podcast. We're so honored that they did. Thank you, Spotify. So if you're a watcher, YouTube, Spotify, if you're a listener, anywhere else, you can find us. And we are so excited to have Neil DeGrade from Dirt Poor Robbins. Neil, welcome to David versus Goliath. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. This isn't our first time we met, is it? No, it's definitely not our first time we met. And uh, as you guys can tell, the watchers and the listeners, they can clearly see that Neil looks a little bit different than I do as far as the full beard. You're much more distinguished. Some would say you're much smarter than me. But one of the things... I'm sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, please, please. I like the... You're you're complimenting me. I'm going to let you run for a little while with that. That's what I was just going to say. You might want to do that. It's been uh, far and few between, right? Uh, you know, Neil, right. you and I love, love music our whole lives. We've loved. Absolutely. We grew up playing music. Our moms used to make us practice piano. And Neil and I were pretty slick. We would have this way of we'd practice and then we'd run over to the clock. We'd put our stairs up. We'd move it forward. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, and you remember the clock forward. Yeah. Yes. And then dad had a keep buying clocks he's like why can't we find a clock that tells time <laughs> it's it was a problem we uh yeah so the clocks were always wrong in our house and it's because we didn't want to practice yeah so but uh who knew so my you know mom and dad always used to say like hey you'll thank us someday for this and you know they uh thanks mom thanks dad you no, uh no you doubt no doubt music no doubt about they gave us a gift of music i always tell people in the all you know because as you know I, I ran a record label in the independent world for a little bit not as successful as my other software businesses as you know but the mm. quickest way to make a million dollars in the music business is to spend 10 million bucks in it 
And I learned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not I- it's not a terrific industry as far as uh, by the books. So even when you look at like large record labels like Universal Records, um, only twelve. Like so, they'll sign twelve artists, and only one of those twelves will turn the profit, and they have to pay for all of the other non collateralized loans they give out to the other bands. And so, very few people are happy uh, in the music industry doing music. There's it's a very small percentage of people that are killing it out there, and they know and they don't even know why it works sometimes when it does so it's a it's an iffy business i mean with the intelligence people have most of the time they they do themselves a favor to get in a more reliable industry than the music industry but it's alluring it's kind of sexy to be a part of music so people get sucked right in and clearly with the mustache it's very sexy <laughs> thank you thank you thank you uh well it's funny too because uh you know i guess we give a little background you just gave a, a little extra background there with the uh lessons i had totally forgotten about the clock we used to abuse um but one of the first things we had um as a musical experience was uh, my dad used to bring home records and i think you've heard me say this before adam but my dad brought home two records you remember the two records he brought home i think so it was kiss yes uh, and then it was queen that's right and you get to pick first and of course, I went with the kiss because I'm a marketer. You went with kiss and I went with queen. Well, I was going to go with queen either way. So it didn't like it wasn't even like we had to pick. We were just going to go our directions. And so part of the difference in our, you know, two paths in life is that, you know, I think kiss the, the kiss's motto wasn't that they weren't like every other band trying to be the Beatles. They were trying to be Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that you like the branding, the marketing around that. For me, I was more wrapped up in the like the cinematic theatrical side of music, the emotive side. So uh, that's one of the differences in what we ended up doing. And um, it's interesting to see what you've done because you've you've been able to hang on to music as like, obviously, you haven't put the time into it. I have, but it's still it's still a huge part of your life. Oh, huge. as you can see behind you. <laughs> clearly, clearly a huge part of my life. And I'm actually looking forward to this weekend. We'll be playing together for the first time in years. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, it'll be and- a blast. And, you know, when you think about David versus Goliath, you now you think about the giant music industry, right? Or the entertainment industry in general. Yeah. You know, for what I think is so interesting about your story is that after the independent label thing, we had mild degrees of success. You stayed at it with DPR, which is Dirt Poor Robbins. Right. And you have continued to refine that and find a space in a market that gives you hundreds of thousands of fans on a relatively low budget for you to be able to produce and distribute your music because art is so important to you. The music is so important to you. And, you know, talk to people about what that challenge is like. You know, you don't have the hundreds of millions of dollars of budgets like a Katy Perry would have. Right. Yet your fans, are, in some ways, are just as dedicated and in some cases even more dedicated to the brand. Talk about the music of DPR in the beginning and how it's evolved over time to where you are now. All right. Well, something that was kind of a side hobby for us for a while has turned into, you know, over a million, million streams a month and uh, with Dirt Paul Robbins. And that happened without really a marketing budget or a, a big budget. So everything was kind of done out of pocket and in my own studio. So when we when you and I started making music, I mean, we were in the recording studio when I was 13 already. And we were actually it's, it's long enough ago that we were recording and putting things on tape. And oh, yeah. uh, so but I was hungry to learn everything from the engineers. I mean, like a, a hunger to learn is really going to go a long way when it comes to an education. So I would just drive the engineers nuts. I would ask them questions. I would try to re like organize their effects. And um, 
it was a problem, but it was also a good problem I was causing because I was learning at their their expense and patience. Um, but we had to adapt a lot. So uh, we started out in like, you know, 80s hairband stuff and and kind of like on the edge of metal sometimes or, you know, if Kansas was around still in the late 80s, that was kind of like our sound. And, um, you know, what happened is uh, grunge came along and like right away there was, I had a little bit of a disgust reflex to grunge because it was sloppier. It had more energy, but, uh, and it was a little rougher around the edges, which was cool, but it, there was something about it where I had worked on this pristine technique and it just didn't have a place in grunge. Um, but that was my first encounter with a major change in style of music where it's like, I'm doing one thing and the thing we were doing was dead in a year. As soon as yeah. grunge, there was no one's was signing any of these hair bands. I mean, we were super young, so it wasn't like we were in trouble, but um, they weren't signing these bands. And I got really curious because I started to focus on my favorite um, songs and favorite grunge bands and what that new genre that emerged, what kind of opportunity afforded me. And I remember, uh, you know, so I started wearing corduroys and um, <laughs> and flannel shirts and stuff and uh, grew my mullet out. And, you know, people I was doing music with were making fun of me for the adaptation and a lot of times. So it was it was funny because within, you know, within a decade going back and those other people that refused and just just hung on to that disgust reflex by the new thing, they were sure. still listening to the same stuff. They, you know, this is not a bad thing, but the, you know, like the ones that stuck with music were music teachers. I think that's a wonderful profession. It wasn't my goal. Um, and that wasn't their goal either. So everybody had kind of settled into something less just because they had this, oh, this new thing came along and they defended their old thing for the sake of the chance to grow. Um, now grunge didn't last forever either. So that was great. So there was, there's been probably about like 30 times. I've had to adapt my uh, approach over the years, but it wasn't like a forced adaptation. It was something I'd learned about how to see the new thing for what it was and what opportunity it gave me. Meaning that whenever there was a new thing came along, it's because there was an older thing that was getting a little played out and the new thing was going to be uh, it had more to do with the energy of where people were at and also offered me something new and fresh to dive into. So adaptation was key uh, to get to this point. Now, I mean, you're is the key. it's a adaptation is the key to everything, right? I mean, even in small business, if you're doing something and you're banging your head against the wall and the, and the market's moved on from that, you have to find that space that is yours that people want to be a part of. Right. And it was, right. I was talking you know, a couple of weeks back to Aaron, uh, uh, not Aaron Lane, uh, Jessica Kendrick. It was last week, actually. And she said that she created her business out of a lifestyle that she wanted to have. She thought it would only be her. What ended up happening is other attorneys wanted that lifestyle because she found yeah. a space, created the space. They wanted to join her in that space, and they did join her in that space. So talk a little bit about that, a little bit about DPR and you know how you adapted and how you found your space. One of the things that happened in the music industry when uh, I got my first record deal and I was looking at record deals, uh, people were spending from $50,000 to $150,000 making a record. So as a musician, you try to find a producer, uh, maybe an arranger, if you had some stuff that was outside of your wheelhouse, like strings or something orchestral, um, you would, uh, so you would have an engineer, an engineer in the studio who would record and you'd have a mixing engineer and you have a mastering engineer. You had all these moving parts and you'd hire people to come in. Well, people are well aware of this, but people started pirating music, you know, very easily with computers and that, that 
really started to hurt the ability for musicians to make money who were dependent on record sales. And simultaneously, streaming started to gain momentum. And so streaming meant that, uh, you know, you were only going to get paid when someone listened to your song. And it's a, you know, very, very small number. Um, so that was tough on the industry. And uh, so a lot of people had to adapt. So in my situation, because I wasn't um, I wasn't doing my own music full time. I was working for hire for other people is that if I was going to work with other artists it was like, well, now I've got to be the engineer, the mix engineer, the producer, the arranger. I've got to learn all these skill sets. And luckily, I had a classical background. I'd learned orchestration. I'd learned a lot of these things over the years. So uh, it was just a matter of picking up some of the engineering tidbits. But by the time you're done. Uh, to make the same money you were making, you had to do five different jobs. So uh, it it was an adaptation that was really, um, for a lot of people, was their way out. And then simultaneously, the other thing that happened in this industry is that, you know, one of the things that ruins the music industry is everybody is like Kevin Costner in Field of Dreams. If they build it, they will come. And, uh, you know, he's got this baseball field out in the middle of nowhere he's building. And and people just happen to show up. And so I think a lot of musicians have that delusion that if they sign a contract, no matter what contract it is or any contract, um, that if they just undercut other bands by playing everywhere for free, by doing everything just for exposure, that that's going to, you know, it's going to pay off for them. And yep. it really didn't. It just ended up kind of souring the whole industry where the, the middle class started to go away. There was this small number of high class artists and a small number of, uh, you know, uh, lower class artists left and everybody in every town, every club could fill up just enough people to stay open just by having a band come in and play for free. So people stopped paying. So it's like, well, what do you do? I love music. You know, so I wasn't picking music because I saw a huge career opportunity. I was picking music because, you know, I saw Van Halen when I was 13. I, you were there at that show. And, uh, you know, yes, some, some musical experiences I had where it was just like, it just blows you over. And it's like, I want to be a part of this. This is magic. And so, uh, yeah, I never wanted to give up on music. And it was one of the few things I could get up and do every day without having to force myself. So I knew that was important. Um, so that led us to where, you know, kind of where we are now. So um, in the in around 2010, uh, we started making independent records on our own on our free time in between projects, working on other things. I, I've done some scoring work. I've worked on podcasts. Yep. Um, so, and, and then work with other artists and the artists pay the least. So I spent the, I, I tried to spend the least amount of my time doing that. And, um, but anyway, so what was fun is I unlocked something with our stuff is that um, it was, I started working outcome independent, meaning that I found the reason that I was least creative when I was working for other people is because I would get distracted. So instead of focusing on the emotion and the heart and the in the thing that I had right in front of me, I was focused more on the audience. And there was a time to focus on the audience, but not in that moment, because what will happen is if you start running stuff by certain people and music is so subjective, you'll just you'll be running something by two conflicting tastes of of, of a, two different audiences. And you just right. get stuck trying to solve something you can't solve. If your music's going to be hard rock, it's got to be hard rock. If yep. you're going to play a guitar solo, it's got to be a guitar solo that someone who loves guitar solos would love and that someone who hates guitar solos is really going to hate. You have to go for the fact that you can't win everybody over and you have to be undistracted. So that presented me a problem in the sense that I uh, 
I would lose all my energy as soon as I would go to the marketing side of things. So I had to come up with a plan, uh, considering it was just, you know, me and Kate, my wife, who's the other part of the band working on this band and with a limited amount of energy to market. Um, so that's kind of how we got to where we are now. So we were making records and things were climbing our audience. Once we went full time with it, we were able to go full time with this band. Um, four years ago, our audience has doubled every year. That's awesome. And so that's been, that's been really great. So, um, we, but we have new opportunities coming up now based upon like new changes in the industry. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to talk about those in a little bit. I do, when we come back from break, want to talk to you about some other fun things, a little bit about music. I remember some of the outfits you wore back in the eighties. No. Oh no, no, you better not have pictures. As long as you have pictures, I'll talk about it. <laughs> no, I do, I do not have pictures. And I also want to play a track, a 30 second piece of your music as well for people to listen, but stay okay. tuned, everyone. We're going to take a break from our corporate sponsor, Anthem Software. We'll be right back. Anthem Business Software System is designed to specifically help small businesses just like yours find, serve, and keep more customers profitably. We do this by providing you with the most powerful software, automations, and marketing services to help your business compete and win in this ever-changing digital world. Take a short video tour at AnthemSoftware.com. With Neil DeGrade from Dirt Poor Robins. That was the quickest break in the history of the universe. From his perspective, amazing. from you guys, it was at least a minute. <laughs> it was at least a minute. Yeah, that's we are we are back. Neil, some of the outfits you used to wear on stage were interesting. You know, tight pants. Uh, your hair yeah. used to go all the way down to the halfway part of your back. You used to do guitar solos over your head. I remember those days. You used to climb on chairs. And, uh, you know, you never broke a guitar. Like the Who or anything like that? Not on purpose, but I did break guitars. I'm sure um, you have. Yes. You've also dressed up like the cast of Mary Poppins. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Okay. We <laughs> we gotta we gotta reel this in a little bit here. Is it, um. <laughs> so yeah. This so is true. The These are true things. One of the things about genre. So this is this is helpful for anybody. I know we're talking about music, and you're like, I think that clever self-starting people are going to figure out how what we're talking about relates to what they're doing. So. Of course. Music has genres, right? Genres um, have key markers that um, that allow us to identify those things. Like you might never think about, like, why can you tell the difference between country and rock and easy listening and classical? Why do you know what type of music it is right away? And uh, you also have a picture of what the people would look like performing that. So um, with the genres of music, it always like let's just look at the 20th century. There was new technology involved. Um, there was a new zeitgeist, meaning there was like a way, like a, a new thing, that opportunity that was emerging socially, and there would be new venues. So that's, um, you know, so technology, for example, like jazz, like the, the, suddenly you could, uh, you could adapt new singing styles because you could amplify your voice. Right. And that things that would have never been used in the in the past, someone like Bing Crosby, who's got that kind of crooner, smooth voice, it wouldn't have carried. Suddenly the microphones allow this genre and these new styles to develop with the technology. So you have um, technological advances. You have um, 
you have like venues. So like jazz was born out of the speakeasies and bars and things like that. Like gospel music was born in churches and, uh, you know, the Beatles turned your headphones into a, uh, you know, a venue and, you know, arena rock with Led Zeppelin and hip hop turned your car into a venue. And so it's like, there's always like a new place, you know, like disco and the nightclubs and, there's always like a new way to behave and a new place to have um, that genre exist in. And then finally, there's like the, how people dress and act like you were talking about all those different things. So dressing and acting, um, you know, when you think of the hippies, you have a specific look that comes to mind. You think of people that listen to like or went to a sock hop in the 50s. You have a look you think of, you know, Metallica fan in the uh, mid 80s. You have a look that comes to your mind. And so yep. that's something about like this intuitive like way people like to brand and identify with things that they will start to imitate the things that they love and are giving their attention to. And so that's uh, that's an important thing to think about, because part of your brand in your genre as an artist or I think in anything is a list of things you are and things you aren't like there's things that we never do to create our sound. Um, we don't generally get bluesy in Dirt Poor Robins. We don't generally get jazzy, um, although we will throw in some ragtime, you know, so if we draw more from cinematic sounds and cinematic scopes. We draw more from, oh, that sort of like queen style glam rock, those type of things. But we will we'll never go other ways. We'll never be a straight pop band. We'll, and so for people that are fan of concept records like Pink Floyd and Radiohead's OK Computer and, uh, you know, records like that. Or for you, Adam, Operation Mindcrime by Queensryche. Oh, Operation Mindcrime right. by Queensryche. One of the best concept albums of all time, as you can tell. Remember, guys. I'm the Kiss guy, although I really not a big fan of Kiss. Truth be told, but back not then, more. No, yeah. you were then. You used to wear no. the makeup. I used to wear the makeup and everything. Yeah, you had the lunchbox. That's right, I did. But at the end of the day, Neil's music is not like that. Actually, Neil, let's play a quick clip of some DPR. I'm going to show two two different clips right now for the audience. Number one, it's going to be 30 seconds of vocals, and then 30 seconds of a lead that I love, or maybe even a little bit more of the lead that I love, and then we'll come back after that. Stay tuned. was awesome the song that you listened to there was all there is and then the solo came from it tore your heart out neil this is fantastic music and i gotta tell you i'm jealous because as you know i i, I play guitar and people on that watch the podcast know this i can't hold a candlestick to the way you play guitar and, and yet i've never been jealous it's weird like it's i've, I've been envious i guess is the word because i would love to be able to do it but I've never been jealous. You're just so talented and so gifted and an amazing songwriter. And man, can Katie sing as well? One of my favorite DPR tracks, by the way, is one that you sing. 
and uh, it's called Solemn Dream, which oh. I'm not going to play right now. That's one of my favorite Durpor Robbins songs, and you sing on it. And every once in a while in the shower, Neil, and I sing along with it, I almost sound like you, but well, it's not related. <laughs> yeah, but, so, I mean, we had a different set of again. We had a different set of priorities. Like you, yeah, totally. you saw. You were you were really interested in creating the whole thing with music, like the band, the management side. Like you just had that management spirit from the very beginning. I mean, easily. Uh, if I look back, multiple generations of our family, you're our most successful entrepreneur. You know, on both sides for quite a few generations back. It's, it's you know, so you're the anomaly, which is weird. Like your skill set yeah. is the is the uh, the freakish one in the family. I, I, you know, it's funny. I've never thought of it that way, but you're probably right because yeah, I'm just like everybody else, mostly. And you're the freak. Yeah. I like you for that. I'll, you know uh, what? I'll take it. Neil's artwork, by the way, visually is fantastic as well, too. I can draw a stick figure and I, I draw a little house with a little sunshine coming down off the side. And my kids think I'm the greatest artist of all time until I show them something that you've done or their mother's done or Katie, your wife has done. Uh, That's funny. It, well, it's come in handy, too, because like I've been used on a number of people's projects or people have brought me in like our friend Sean Wolfington has done this and uh, to bridge the gap between the suits and the artist, um, because a lot of times artists don't understand the other side of things. Now, I'm not interested in doing the marketing business analytics side of it, but I understand the necessity of it. Um, and it, most of that we outsource as a band. I outsource it to my fan base to do these type of things to tell That's me amazing. what they're what's resonating with them and what um you know and what they want more of and and let them and give them the tools to share it um in the meanwhile so uh you were talking about the visual arts but that's led us to uh i brought a you know another clip here for you because you know we had covid last year and hollywood's had major problems so hollywood is right now going through something like i just described with the music industry where yep the um Okay, so the the proliferation of the technology. I mean, most of the software people use, you can get in your homes. That there are clever people with with you know four K, eight K cameras that are just doing some outstandingly beautiful stuff. Um, you know, you have this development and more access for people with the technology. But Hollywood, uh, unlike most industries, is the last to give up the high budget items. Meaning, um, you know, when they're spending one hundred fifty million dollars making a film, we're starting to see. Uh, companies like Marvel start to tank on their movies that were reliable brands. And uh, it's it's going to be very difficult for Hollywood in the future, hiring these big name actors, hiring these huge budget effects houses, and to keep going and delivering to this massive desire for content people have everywhere. Totally. Every streaming service needs content. And Hollywood can they take years to put a movie out and it costs hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. It's a huge risk. And everything over the years has gotten cheaper. Music has gotten cheaper. Everything else around it has gotten cheaper. Even the TV you watch it on. I mean, it's got an 80-inch TV in my bedroom, and like that was would have been totally unaffordable to us, you know, a few years earlier. And the prices just keep coming down to things. So Hollywood hasn't made the adjustment. So as we uh, we do these concept records. I had this idea. I was like, maybe, maybe if I give myself the right constraints, there's a way to crack in to what they're missing. Like someone can come in, run lighter and faster and work quicker and do something that maybe it doesn't have that same Hollywood gloss to it, but it has a certain level of charm. It could have a certain, um, but it could be just as emotionally captivating. And so we decided to do our latest record, which we're releasing episodically as a silent film to go along with it. 
silent film. So, so just for the listeners and the watchers to understand, silent film. The when was the last silent film of any regard made? Uh, it was called The Artist. Have you seen that? It was beautiful. I haven't. Uh, it when, was, when was that? How long ago was that? I don't know. But one Oscar was definitely nominated. It was within the last decade, I think. Um, really great movie. It had some really. It was about the. Well, I don't need to tell people what it's about. Anyway, that was made. But so silent people have a uh, bad idea of silent films generally because you might stumble across one and you're watching these old silent films. And it's uh, I use the analogy. I said it's the same as like watching your kids like your kids are like, hey, we're going to do a puppet show for you. And like they start the puppet show and it like it just keeps going and going and you're wondering when it's going to end and it has no clear plot line. So uh, we don't have the attention span for what silent films were. And also they were performed with live musicians back then. So it was like going to see a live band with a movie, which was awesome. Yeah, that, so, that actually does sound pretty cool. Well, so I, I think that people could transfer some stuff. I can kind of explain why the idea. Well, before I had well, before I, you do that, Neil, before yeah. you do that, let's actually, I'm going to show a clip right now, about a minute and a half or so of a trailer or, or a little piece of the actual episode for my listeners. You're just going to hear a lot of sound because you're not going to hear anything. It's, it's a silent film. You're going to hear the music. It's music. <laughs> it's a great piece of music. But if you want to see visually what's there, you can watch it on YouTube or Spotify. Hang on. Here's the actual clip. Enjoy it. We'll be right back. And there you go, folks. That's the clip that we just showed. And Neil, uh, you know, you were continuing on. I want you to make sure you explain to people exactly how they can translate what you're doing into their businesses as well, too, and how they're finding their space and adapting. Okay. So what I have in front of me is I have this thing that's, that's Hollywood. And we know what Hollywood does. We know the movies they make. And um, I, it just seems to be uh, – they seem to be in a losing spiral. Because uh, everything's gotten politicized, too. Every movie is like a, someone you can see someone's political slant in the movie. And for me, honestly, I don't care about the politics as much as I care about the fact that it makes it boring. Like the characters are predictable. You see a certain character doing a certain thing. You know exactly what's going to happen because, you know, the person's political beliefs. And it's just like, my gosh, I'm wasting my time watching these movies. And someone wasted so much money making it. And they're not doing great right now. So. Looked at that and it's like, okay, so we've got a couple of different factors. We have expense, like, okay, I want to tell a big story. I want to have the, the story I have has space travel, uh, takes place in like, you know, what looks like to be the roaring twenties. Um, so there's cityscapes, there's flying zeppelins, there's rocket ships. There's uh, the clip you saw was from the prologue, which is more like this fairy tale introduction. And uh, very cool. Very cool. So it's like, okay, so expense is a problem. 
All right. So like, I can't compete like this script on paper. If I give it to someone in Hollywood, it would be a hundred million dollar movie or $50 million movie or something. So that was not going to do for me, obviously. So, um, I don't have the budget to get uh, large name actors and I can do the music myself. That was helpful. Okay. So, but if I want to do something expressionistic, meaning that I'm not going to worry about the realism so much, but I'm going to worry about it carrying that emotion that like, you know, when someone can tell you it just, they can just tell you a story with words and you start to well up in your eyes or, you know, things can happen that you don't need. You don't need like these massive array of computers rendering out realistic lighting on dinosaurs to have a great story. So, we solved the problem of expense in a very technical way. One was to decide to do a silent movie that that meant that we could have our music over it and not have it conflict with dialogue. So that's huge, right? For us, when you when you want to have lyrics or whatnot, and you didn't have to space the dialogue around it. Um, two, um, two. There's uh, in a silent film, generally the cameras didn't move. And like, I don't think you'll never necessarily, unless you're a cinematographer, you're going to be paying close attention to that when you watch a movie when it's done. It's like, you don't, it just feels like, oh, this is what's supposed to happen. So I, and because the cameras didn't move, we can make every frame. Like if you pause it, it looks like a painting. It looks like a painting and the way it's laid out compositionally. So it's something you could just take a screenshot of and put in your wall and it would look as great art. And so also because the camera doesn't move and we shot this all on a green screen. So all of that was shot on a green screen. Um, it allows us to do the special effects very, very inexpensively because now I don't have to track camera movement to put these backgrounds in and, and changing perspectives. Um, so, and also color, like that was another way, like kind of lowering a bar again, like now that actually saved mo money on costuming because things don't actually have to be the right color. They just have to not be green so they don't disappear in the background. So that's, that's uh, a good point. Yeah, there was one thing after another. And then so also because the camera's not moving and because I set up this giant green screen, all I would do is adjust the lighting to match the angle of the light in the shot is that we were able to go like very, very fast. So um, we only have a couple of people that were like legitimate professional actors. A lot of people I knew this had the right look and a great personality and they could do it. And so by using this new strategy of, of filming, we shot the whole thing over a very short period of time and we used a... um a slogan, which was momentum over perfection, which oh, I meant love, I, love if, that. I love that. Yeah. So it was always momentum over perfection, which was I noticed is if we slowed a scene down, we were trying to get every little detail perfect. The more I would have to do that in the next shot and even more in the next shot. So like people were couldn't just react. They had to think and plan and uh, it was bogging everything down. So with momentum over perfection, the whole idea was to keep the energy up to keep people in the moment, like in a flow state, that's like an artistic phrase I use because when people are in a flow state, they don't have to think they can just do good things. And so we had this flow state going. We got so much done so fast because everybody was happy. Everybody was having fun. And uh, I wasn't nitpicking over tiny things. If someone gave me something, I would just roll with it and try to make it work or it would, or it would spark a new idea that would make it better. So momentum over perfection was a huge aspect of moving forward. You know, it, it's funny that you say that because I always talk about how progress is perfection in your small business, right? So I like it artistically, momentum, you know, is good, right? You're definitely over is getting your progress, right? Progress is perfection in business. Now, Neil, we got to take one more quick break. 
And then when we come back, I want to talk about courage because it does take a lot of courage to step out and say, you know what? I am going to create a movie that I think people are going to like to watch. And I want you to talk about that when we come back from break. But right now, we have another message from a corporate sponsor here on David versus Goliath. I'm your host, Adam DeGrade. We'll be right back. At King 16, our agency has done some exciting things over the years. We've designed and built amazing experiences for customers and launched several vehicles for Audi and Porsche. We've thrown extravagant parties inside whiskey distilleries and featured amazing products for brands like Ray-Ban and Fossil. We booked some incredible talent and designed cutting-edge stages for those performances. We even threw a red carpet gala in the middle of nowhere on a horse farm with hundreds of celebrities, which was difficult. I guess you could say we've done some amazing things for our brands and partners. Now the only question is, what will King 16 do for you? Find out at king16.com. That's king-s-i-x-t-e-e-n.com. And we're back for the final segment with Neil DeGrade from Dear Paul Robbins talking about Queen of the Night, a new silent film that he's going to be talking uh, and, and creating and actually releasing right now. Episode one is out. Where can people Episode actually, where can they see this, Neil? Well, in videos where you can leave a link in the description, they can leave a link in the description. You can, uh, on our, it's on our Facebook page. If you look up Dirt Poor Robbins, it's also, but more importantly, it's on our YouTube page. Uh, it's streaming for free everywhere right now until, and we're leading it up. We're leading up to a release of the full film, trying to build up some hype and some money to finish the production. So by rolling it out episodically, we were able to give people, um, content right away. And at the same time, generate momentum and an audience so that there would be more people there to see the final product and also give us more leverage with streaming services. So that's what we're aiming for. We'll see how it works. I mean, you guys can follow us along in the process uh, if you want to see what we're doing and what it's like. I think um, I think what we're doing is is going to be appealing to a, a much wider audience than just our music style was in the past. So, you know, from kids to adults, because it is imagistic now and the music has a context to sound the way it does and so we're bar we we adapt as a band we always sound like us but this time around we're 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 doing some older stuff we're drawing from the romantic period classically uh 1920s and 30s popular music and those sort of styles and what you would have heard in a, in a score back in that era so um yeah so that's that's what we're doing and uh it yeah it did it does take a small amount of courage but i don't know i'm not I don't well, well, so hold on. Think about this, Neil. It is, it is truly a David versus Goliath story. I mean, and for anybody who loves this podcast and loves small business, you've got to find the local artists that need your support and support them. And this is a great way to do it. Go watch Queen of the Night. Share it with your friends and family. Get it out there. I was so psyched about it, Neil. I decided to become an executive producer on it with uh, my wife, Crystal. That's and right. so we we're pumped, man. We're pumped about it, but it does take courage. Neil, see, you take it for granted. Like so many people, thousands of people right now that maybe even are listening to this podcast, they have an idea, but they're locked in fear of doing it and they hesitate. And I always tell people that hesitation is the death of an entrepreneur and action is the life of an entrepreneur mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, you're just doing something, getting out there creates that energy to it, but it does take courage. You have to not only want to get out of bed and do something, you have to actually say, okay, I'm going to do this. What is it, Neil, you think in yourself that said to you, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm not just going to make another thematic album, which I'm great at already. I'm going to take it to a whole new level, add visuals and do something very creative with a silent film. Where did you get that courage from? 
Well, I think it's been building up towards this. So it's, it's, you know, incremental steps because I hadn't directed a feature length film and I hadn't, uh, I hadn't done any of the stuff, you know, I mean, we've done some work on, I've done some video work on commercials and I've always been interested. Uh, and I always felt like I could do it. Um, but I think that, you know, so here, here's my thing about, um, life in general. So from a very young age, I lost stage fright. I figured out how to get rid of stage fright. And it was as simple as when you go up on stage and you have a nervous feeling, like your heart starts to race and your blood pressure rises and you feel like butterflies in your stomach. That's the same exact thing you feel when you're excited to do something, when you're at a theme park or something you're looking forward to that you've paid to do. It's like excitement it has an uh, identical feel. And so I was like, oh, you know what? This is like, this is a good opportunity. Like I'm excited to be here. This is these nerves mean that I'm doing something important. So I flipped the script on it. So it, it literally removed my stage fright. I haven't had stage fright in an eternity. Um, and that was one of the things, but that goes with everything. That's like stress. I don't process stress as stress. I don't get stressed. I think of it as excitement, like, right? So when, when things are hard or even when things are obstacles are in your way, it's like, yeah, it's like a chance to solve a puzzle. So if, but if you're telling yourself that I'm having these feelings and you focus on them in a negative sense, they're going to suck all your energy, right? So, um, two, and when it comes to courage is that, you have to understand. So like you mentioned supporting local artists, like go support a local artist you understand. Don't feel pressure to like give into some weird artistic community where it's like, I don't really get this art. I don't really like this art, but everybody's yeah, it's, pretty, like, it's smart. It's going to be good art from your perspective. Yeah, from, from you. Who cares? Who cares what anybody else thinks? And it's the same thing when I go out to make music. No, we're not aiming at the lowest common denominator. That's not what we do. That's not what I'm like. Uh, I have no problem with people that do that. But like, again, like I said before, it's like, man, if I'm going to do a, if I'm going to do a ballad, right, I'm not going to make a nice one. I'm going to go take it as far as I can. I'm going to make sure that this, this song like tears your heart out or like breaks your heart or it's, it's like almost like you want to like, I want to break people apart and put them back together in the same song or the music. So you want them to really feel something. So you can't apologize. So you have to understand that like, okay, if you're in a metal band, which I'm not, but if you're a metal band, it's like, you got to make sure that like, if someone doesn't like heavy metal, they don't like your band. Like that's, that's a really easy, you don't try to win over that person with your heavy metal. You don't try to convince the person that loves Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas that they need to like your grindcore band. It's stupid. You'll spend all your energy trying to get people that will never be interested in you or never pay attention to you. So you focus on the thing you're doing and you do without apology and you just, it's okay. It's okay. Like if something doesn't work and it's totally okay. If people don't get what you're doing, not everybody's in the market for your product. No, I know some people have businesses that are really like have like way more ubiquity than what we're talking about here, where it appeals to like, no, no, pretty much everybody owns a toothbrush. It's like, yeah, okay. So, you know, but you gotta make, you still gotta make your toothbrush stand out. It's yep. the same thing. So when you look at the people in the world that are the most successful, you really generally mostly know them for one thing. Like this guy's a great basketball player, great football player. Uh, this person is the best, you know, whatever singer in the world. This person is one of the wealthiest people in the world. This person is known for technology. They're known for a thing, you know, and the school systems out here trying to make well-rounded people and well-rounded people don't have the escape velocity to, to, to make something happen on a larger scale if they're well-rounded because you really need to put all your efforts into a thing. You know, so you need to be more afraid of not mastering and going for something without apologizing than you need to worry about 
oh, I guess being a well-rounded person necessarily. So all of the people that spike through are people that just, they go for a thing, they don't apologize for it, and they'll make you second-guess yourself for not understanding it before they're going to accept that they're going to get off their own course. Neil, I think you said it so perfectly, by the way. You told me this once. In order to be truly loved, you have to be equally hated. Right, and well, I think yeah. that is so true, guys, by the way. So in your business right now, and we're going to wrap up, Neil. We hope to have you back in the future on the DVG. we got to wrap up right now. It's been amazing. Hanging out with my brother from the same mother, uh, Neil DeGrade. It's been awesome. And for the listeners and watchers, guys, think about it. Your business is will appeal to a lot of people, but it won't appeal to everyone. And that's okay. Find your space, adapt to the things and the situations around you, and dominate and crush your market. That's what David versus Goliath is all about. Inspiration, education, activation, right here on DVG. Thank you so much for watching and listening. We'll see you next week. Have an awesome day.